Our scripture reading for the morning is taken from the 56th Psalm, Psalm 56. David, writing at a very difficult time in his life, records this song. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All the day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all the day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. And God, whose word I praise in the Lord... Whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are here to worship. We are here to learn. We are here to be changed. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You know, one of the things that I have found that Christians rarely talk about and discuss is the subject of doubt. You know, I believe to many of us, the whole idea of doubt conjures up feelings of spiritual immaturity or maybe something that's displeasing or dishonoring to God. And then there's the whole uh, aspect of what would people think? I mean, what would our brothers and sisters think about us and our faith if they really knew That we had doubts and questions. Well, I want to submit this morning that doubt is something that we all inevitably experience. And not only is doubt an inevitable experience, it can also be a very beneficial one. And so one of the purposes of my message today is to set our hearts free so that we can be honest to God. And we can be honest to one another about where we are in our faith. Because there are going to be times when doubt comes knocking. And I don't want us to have to feel guilty because of our questions. Now, we do need to understand that there is more than one kind of doubt. And one of those kinds of doubt is something that we need to avoid. I'm talking about the kind of doubt that shakes its fist in the face of God 
and proudly declares its independence from the Almighty. The doubt that I'm talking about here is the doubt that is born of a rebellious heart. But that's not the doubt that we're going to be talking about today. Here is a doubt that proceeds from a searching, questioning heart. One that submits to the reality of God and wants to know God in a deeper way. Now, I must uh, tell you as I preach this sermon that I have had my own struggles with doubts. I remember even when I was called to the ministry, I thought, you know, how in the world am I going to minister when I have all these questions myself and I'm, I'm not sure about this and that and things that happen in the world. I can't explain passages of the scripture that I can't explain. And so I decided, well, the answer to that is to go to seminary. So I did. Guess what I found? Professors with doubts, professors with questions, classmates with questions. And I had to learn that if I was going to be effective in ministry, I was going to have to be comfortable with my doubts and questions. And I went into the whole seminary experience asking, you know, is God really going to take care of me and my family? Are people going to listen to what I have to say? Am I going to be able to find a church when this education thing is over? And so, again, this doubt is a universal experience that even we as pastors go through as well. Well, in Psalm 56, we are going to see here a man who is very, very strong in his faith in the midst of some very scary situations. And what we'll see that he is, we want to see is even with this strong faith, David gives here an indication that he is going through a little bit of doubt. He's being attacked and relentlessly pursued by his enemies. And he talks about, in verse 3, his fear. And then in verse 8, as the English Standard Version translated, he talks about his tossing, almost giving the idea of a man or a woman who can't sleep at night. But they're tossing back and forth because of their anxiety. But the point is that the doubt and fear do not have the final say in David's life. And his journey through doubt to faith, I believe, has much to say to us to keep us from being swallowed up in the midst of our questions and doubts. So I have chosen to entitle the message, Can He Be Trusted? Can He Be Trusted? When one of your goals in life is to have, is to marry and have a Christian home. But the right person never comes along. Can he be trusted when you have worked so hard and, and paid the price to be in a certain career, but you walk in one day and there's the pink slip and you're told that your services are no longer needed? Can he be trusted when you pour your life into your children and one of them breaks your heart over and over and over? And then many of us understand the pain of a shattered dream. You keep in your heart a sense of God's call in your life. And you pursue His will for your life. 
So why this roadblock? Why this intrusion? I mean, if you were living contrary to God's will, maybe you could understand it. But this makes no sense. Well, before we look at what Psalm 56 has to say for us, I want us to take a few moments to review the circumstances of David's life that brought him to this point. He was really just a kid when Nathan, when Samuel the prophet comes to his father Jesse and he says, I intend to anoint one of your children, one of your children, the next king of Israel. And one by one, Jesse brings his sons to Samuel. And Samuel, one by one, says, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. And he goes through the whole bunch. And he said, do you not have another son? And his father said, well, yeah, we have a kid. He's out tending to the sheep right now. I didn't think to bring him along. He says, go get him. I'm going to anoint him king of Israel. Well, Saul was still king. And it would be a few years before David would take the realm of power. But it was not long before, in God's providence, David was actually brought into the royal palace. You see, Saul had been going through a time of serious depression. And he called for a skilled musician to come sing and play the harp for him to relieve the pain and the sadness that he was going through. And David, being a wonderful musician, was the one who was called. And there developed a strong kinship between David and Saul. Saul appreciated David so much. But that appreciation, however, was to be short-lived. It started with the incident in Goliath. When David's magnificent display of strength and courage was a day that neither Israel nor the world would ever forget. For days, the armies of the Philistines had come and taunted and mocked the armies of Israel. And there was one Philistine in particular who struck terror into the hearts of the Israelites. And that was the giant Goliath. And David was appalled at this. How dare this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? And David's heroics in defeating the, the, the Philistines earned him great admiration and respect for the people. Songs were written in his honor. Women and children danced in the streets to celebrate his victory. But guess who was taking notice? It was Saul. And that changed things practically overnight. Saul began to see David's growing popularity. And Saul became so jealous that he looked at David as a threat to his kingdom. And he became so angry and so hostile towards David that he tried on, at every opportunity to kill him. And so David becomes a fugitive. And he spends the next months of his life running from Saul. And Saul became so relentless in his pursuit of David that David sank into a fear that his life would be short. And maybe he would never live to see the day in which he would become king. And then David does something that is completely unimaginable. 
in order to escape Saul, David went and joined the army of the enemy Philistines. And he became an outlaw. And you can read the story in 1 Samuel 27. He settled in the land of Gath in in Philistia and became a mercenary soldier for the Philistines, joining in raids of unsuspecting people. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, these are the same people that were mocking the armies of Israel earlier that David had delivered them from. You talk about going from the fire to the frying pan, or the frying pan to the fire, whichever one that is. I mean, it's hard to imagine the emotional state of David that would drive him to such an act of desperation. This young man, who seemed to have everything going for him, is now running for his life. And as he sees his dreams vanishing and his life unraveling, David writes... Psalm 56. Psalm 56 is a prayer of David struggling to be, to renew his commitment to trust God even when he didn't understand. Now, it's important to understand this about trust. Do you realize that it is impossible to trust someone that you don't know? You can love someone that you don't know. But it is virtually impossible to trust someone that you don't know. Because trust is based on experience. Trust is based on knowledge. And for David to trust God in these circumstances, he would have to know something about God that would justify such a trust. So what is it that David knew about God that could justify Such a trust. And I want us to see that there are two very important aspects of God's character that led him and will lead us to be able to say, I too can trust God even in the darkest hours of my life. What are those characteristics of God? First of all, David knew God to be sovereign. And I love what he says in verse 11. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. And he asks this question, what can man do to me? Now you think about that question. I mean, if I'm thinking about it, my answer is, there's a whole lot they can do to you, right? I mean, they can steal from you. They'll, they can... Destroy your character. They can take your job. They can do anything they want and they can get away with. They can make your life miserable in many, many ways. But you see, David is looking with the eye of faith. And with the eye of faith, the answer to that question is nothing because man's power is nothing compared to the power of a sovereign God. David could say he is the one who controls my life. He is the one who orders my circumstances. So that every at every point I can say that my life is in the hands of a God who makes no mistakes. And you know, I am amazed at how many passages of scriptures teach this. I love the statement that Jesus made. 
When talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do you not see how plentiful the sparrows are? Why, two of them are sold for a penny. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without the permissive will of God. Are you not more valuable than they? Now, as David looks around at his circumstances, how can he make such a bold statement of confidence in God? How can he really be so sure that God is sovereign with his life unraveling? Well, this kind of confidence in God is not something that can just be created out of thin air. And David makes a statement three different times. He, and this is the only place that I know in the Psalms where this particular phrase is used. He says, I will praise your word three times. He makes the declaration that expresses the foundation of his faith. The God in whose word I praise three times. You see, David's life was not grounded in the events that were going on around him. His confidence was in the word of God. And I think there's a great lesson for us here as well. That the more that we read and digest the word of God, the more that we meditate upon its principles, the more we can see reality from God's perspective. The perspective of eternity. Now, it certainly doesn't make sense to the natural mind. It's only when we have a mind that is transformed by God's word that the real treasures of heaven are open. We can trust God because the circumstances of our lives are not by accident. They may indeed be the work of evil. But even that evil is firmly held in the hands of a sovereign God. And we know that all evil is subject to him and no form of it can touch the child of God without God's sovereign permissive decree. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? When a child falls and is hurt and comes crying and go to his parents Why does he turn to his parents? Because he believes the parent can help. Why go to someone who has no ability to respond? And I submit that if God is not sovereign, that you and I have no way of ever knowing that evil would not triumph in the end. And we would have no rational basis for trusting him with our lives. Now, after having said that, would also want us to understand that the sovereignty of God does not in itself give us assurance. And I say that because there are other religions out there that believe in a sovereign God. But the people still live in fear. They still live in doubt. They still question whether this sovereign God really loves them or not. So you see, there must be a second aspect of God's character that we must embrace. And David does so in verse 9. 
We trust God. Not only because he is good. He is, he is sovereign, but because he's good. And here's what he says. By this, I know that God is for me. And I think that's a remarkable statement, folks, when you remember the context of this psalm. What an incredible statement of faith. That none of David's heartache and none of his adversity blinded him to the reality of the goodness of God. And it's noteworthy that David doesn't make light of the difficulties that he faces. He doesn't soften them. He doesn't make them sound trite. Much to the contrary, David is terrified. Listen, my enemies try to swallow me up. Verse 1. They fight me and hound me all day. Verse 2. They twist my words. They conspire together. Mark my steps. And they lie in wait for my life. This is the picture of a broken and terrified man. And it makes his confidence about God's goodness even more counterintuitive. So what is his secret? Well, you find that in verse 13. He says, David is basically saying in verse 13 that he is looking back over his life. And he says, for you have delivered me from death. You have delivered my feet from stumbling. What did David mean by that? David takes a journey mentally into his past and he recounts the many occasions in which God intervened into his life. And so also for us, over and over in the Psalms and the word of God, the people of God are encouraged to remember the works of the Lord. You and I are called to take a look Backward. And when we do, we can see something extraordinary taking place. You see God's power and you experience his goodness and fear and doubt and questions begin to lose their grip on you. And you can say with David, even under the most extraordinary circumstances, I will not be afraid of what people can do for me, for God is for me. When you look back at the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, you and I also can say with the utmost utmost confidence, I trust him. And I trust him because I know him. Knowing him delivers us from fear. Fear of what man can do. The fear of the pink slip. The fear of the loss of our reputation to gossipers. The fear of the rejection of a spouse or the accusations of a wayward child. See, so the first question we must resolve is not, do I trust him? It's, do I know him? And David knew God. David did not know just about God. David's life had been Profoundly touched and transformed by his God. And when we grow in the knowledge of God, in the place of that fear can become trust. And because God is powerful and God is good, we can discover that he is indeed 
worthy of our trust. So whatever obstacles we might be facing this morning and truly trusting God, this psalm invites us to have our lives transformed by a new and fresh understanding of the power and the goodness of God. And when we open up our hearts to his love and we experience the wonders of his saving grace, when we see the sacrifice that he has made for our salvation, when we experience from day to day his protection and his provision, the, the picture becomes abundantly clear. He can be trusted. Join me in prayer. Our Lord, in the midst of the questions and doubts that assail our souls at times, we thank you that there is the solid rock of your word that assures us that you're a sovereign God who in each and every circumstance is for us. Minister to those of us, Lord, that struggling with questions that are hindering us from being the men and women that you've called us to be and give us a renewed sense of your sovereignty and your goodness. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.